the podcast following meme students, present and past, on their adaptive walks of life as they embark on a career in evolutionary biology. The meme is a master's program that enables upcoming evolutionary biologists from all over the globe to study and research in Europe. This podcast will travel all over Europe and the world, leaping, as Richard Dawkins says, from brain to brain, meme to meme, telling tales of our scientific ventures and research projects. I'm Kate Garland, one of your traveling hosts and creator of the meme stream, coming to you from Boston, USA, and this is our season finale, episode 8. This episode is brought to you by the wonderful Henry North, who got to interview past meme student Mehdi Hadrari, whose project looked at populations of purple-crowned fairy wrens to understand the evolution of body size. And now over to Henry and Mehdi. Okay, hi, I'm Henry. I'm here in Montpellier for the second Joint Congress on Evolutionary Biology, and I'm with Mehdi. So first, tell me about your meme trajectory. Where did you go in the meme program, and where have you been since? So I started the meme program in Groningen in the Netherlands. Uh, then I went to Munich in Germany. And I did my third um, semester at Harvard in Boston. And I did an external project for my final semester in Melbourne in Australia. And after the end of the meme, I took a, almost a gap, a gap year. And I worked for five months uh, as a lab technician. And after that, I started a PhD just about two months ago now uh, in Germany. Great, and so today we'll be talking about the project which had the title Environmental and Genetic Components of Variation in Body Size of a Cooperative Breeder, the Purple-Crowned Fairy Wren. So Mehdi, what was the question you were trying to address with this project? So in the past three decades, there has been a lot of research done on the effects of climate change on animal phenotypes and specifically on morphology. And one popular idea that stems from Bergman's rule is that animals would shrink in size as temperatures increase, and that would be an adaptive response to increased temperatures. So the question that I wanted to address with this uh, species, the purple crown fairy was whether over the 12 years of this long-term data set, we could see a change in mean body size and whether that correlated with uh, climate differences. Great. And who was your supervisor for this project and where did you do it? So my meme supervisor was uh, Bart Kempeners from the Max Planck Institute of Ornithology in Munich. And my direct supervisor was Anna Peters uh, from Monash University in Melbourne. And so she was the one following me on a daily basis and uh, helping me through my project. Great. Did you get to do some field work? I did two months of field work to add on to their data set. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't add the data that I collected to my data set, but it was still an amazing experience uh, in the north of Australia. And um, yeah, I got, got to see a lot of wildlife and the field work with fairy wrens is really, really cool. Great. So digging down into the science a little more, what's the connection between body size, metabolic rate and temperature? So smaller animals have a faster metabolic rate um, in general, so they need more energy to maintain their uh, metabolism, and um, so the, the, the idea behind Bergman's rule is that as latitude increases, so as we get closer to the poles, uh, the variation in temperature is greater because of seasons, and so animals would benefit from being bigger. 
And so the recent idea is to adapt this uh, hypothesis to climate change, and as temperatures go up, animals would shrink so that they don't have uh, to spend that much energy. Wow, what a horrifying thought. <laughs> Warm world with tiny animals. Um, okay, so what were the results of that study? Did these birds get tiny as the globe warmed? So interestingly, I saw the opposite trend in my case. So over these 12 years, which are not that many, um, the birds increased in size in both males and females. And I tried to look at potential climate variables that would affect uh, this trend. And I didn't find any kind of relationship between climate and body size. However, I found some interesting social effects on body size that contradicted what I expected. Interesting. So tell me about those social influences. So uh, as we said before, the purple crown ferrans are cooperative breeders, and so they have groups, social groups that vary in size. So I wanted to know whether the group size had an effect on the growth of the nestlings that were growing in this, uh, in this group. And I thought that the larger the group, the more helpers would be present to help the parents rear the offspring. And so I thought that the offspring would be bigger with a large group, but I saw the opposite trend. And so my hypothesis, but it's pure speculation, is that the group size does not necessarily correlate with the number of helpers because some birds that are present in the territory don't even, don't necessarily help. And they may also even compete for food within the territory. And then the other social effect that I found was that um, the bigger the brood of an individual, the bigger, his nestmates would be as well. And that was also contradicted what I thought, because I thought that a larger brood would entail a lot of competition between um, broodmates, and so I would expect smaller individuals. But in fact, they were bigger. So does it, it seems to me, and I'm not an ornithologist, that some families are just doing really well. They're big and they have big individuals in them. Yeah, exactly. So one idea that I had after talking to several of my uh, lab mates is that purple crown fragrance are opportunistic breeders. So as soon as the conditions are right, they start breeding like crazy. And after one month, the eggs that they have laid are already fledging as <laughs> almost adult birds. So my guess is that the females that are in such a good condition that they can lay many eggs also are able to feed all of their offspring very well and thus get big babies. Interesting. And so would you normally expect, before you saw this data, for there to be a trade-off between the number of offspring and the size of those offspring? Yeah, that's quite a common idea um, in behavioral ecology and ecology in general. Um, usually you would expect a trade-off between, okay, I'm going to produce tons of babies, but they all have to be small because I have a certain uh, budget that I can allocate to this brood, mm. or I can make just a few that are very good quality and quite big. So that's what I expected, but apparently it doesn't apply to all species. Mm. Or could it be that that trade-off exists, but sometimes some individuals are so well off that they don't even have to worry about it? That's possible, yeah. If the conditions are maybe deleterious, then we would see that trade-off more clearly. Yeah, interesting. And so it, it seems in a way sort of fascinating that you saw a relationship of slight increase in body size over time and yet not with any specific environmental variable. So could there be some unmeasured effect on these birds? 
Yeah, that's completely possible. So the way we measured temperature was at a weather station um, about 15 kilometers from the nesting areas. And so the first problem could be that the temperature in the nest is not necessarily the same as the temperature measured um, at this weather station because they live close to rivers. And so river systems could um, change the local temperature, very local temperature. So that's one thing. Um, yeah, and there are ma many other factors that we could have accounted for and that I didn't. Yeah, I mean, a, a generic response, I guess, would be that perhaps you needed to measure the sort of micro-environment of these birds, as, as you mentioned, but they're birds and they fly around, so it seems that the weather station does seem like a reasonable measure. Uh, do you think that, is it possible that human impact on the region could be affecting the ecology of these birds in such a way that affects their body size? So interestingly, the population that they that this lab has been studying uh, for the past 12 years has increased in size dramatically. So it has doubled in about 10 years. But we don't really know whether that is due to a dec decrease in human impact or if it is the weather um, conditions. So I don't really know how humans could impact body size in this specific population. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting, do you think the fact that the population is expanding is altering some of the sort of parameters that you had in mind when you were hypothesizing a decrease in body size? Hmm. So one, one effect of this increasing population is that the territories along the rivers are getting smaller and smaller. And as a result, they can't host as many individuals per territory. And so if um, group size has an effect on body size, then this population expansion would have an indirect effect on body size as well. So of course for something to evolve it should have a heritable component and you were able to address some of this uh, without even looking at the DNA sequence in this study. Exactly, so uh, quantitative genetics is a field that has developed tools that allow students and researchers in general to determine how much of the observed variation is due to genetic variation and that without sequencing anything. So the way that we do it is that we use a pedigree, and I had a pedigree of all of these generations over 12 years, and so I know who is related to whom and how big is each individual. And with that, I can determine how much of this variation is due to the relatedness between individuals and how much is due to the environment. I see, and what was the heritability of body size? So what I found was it was about 50%. So 50% of the variation that we observe in body size is due to inheritance from the parents. So the reasons that birds get bigger or smaller is partly due to the environment and partly due to the genes that they have, in fact, in equal proportions. Is that what you'd expect, given what's already known about birds and the heritability of their body size? Yeah, so uh, about 10 years ago, there's been a review uh, to look at morphological traits and what the, in, the heritability of these traits are in birds. And yeah, the average was around 50 to 55%. So that's exactly what I was expecting. So I was pretty happy when I saw that result on my, on my screen. And that lends a sort of interesting aspect to your study because that seems quite high to me. Uh, naively, it seems that the environment would be super important for how big you are because how much you can eat will be incredibly influential into how big you can get. And yet the trait you looked at had this high genetic component. What does that say about the way that trait evolves? So one important thing to know is that many, many nestlings of these species do not make it to adulthood. 
So I would expect that the ones who make it got, uh, got more or less the same level of food intake or little variation in food intake, and the ones that were not fed well all died. And the measurements that I have were all on adult birds. So there's quite a decrease in variation between birds that were born at some point and those that made it to adulthood. Awesome. And so often in birds, we see dimorphism uh, in traits between males and females. Were males or females bigger than each other in a detectable way? Yeah, so since the beginning of the study uh, in 2005, every single year they noticed that males were bigger than females. And they also show um, color dimorphism, so they're very easy to distinguish. Um, we don't really know what the pressure is to push males to be slightly bigger. It could be that uh, that's a way that they can assert dominance. So I happen to know from spending time in the meme room that you like uh, collecting the skeletons of dead things. There is a, a trophy of yours in the meme room in Groningen. Tell me about what you found during fieldwork in Australia. Uh, so I would say that the coolest animal that I found dead in Australia was a crocodile uh, that was rotting in a river. <laughs> and I was with my, uh, my field partner who saw it. I would never do that. But I definitely went in the river, picked up the crocodile, and carried it over a kilometer to uh, bury it in the sand. And I was hoping that a few weeks later I could just take the skeleton nice and clean from all the insects and other invertebrates that had eaten all the flesh off. Unfortunately, <laughs> a few weeks later as I came back, the whole skeleton was gone. So I suspect that dingoes did it or other people. I was quite upset. Wow, that's pretty badass. I'm tempted to ask what the second coolest dead animal you found is, but... Mm, I don't... Well, I found a dead dingo, but I didn't take wow. it because it's very heavy and it, it was super smelly too. So I just took a bunch of hair and just... <laughs> I just taped it in my field book, that's all. That is utterly disgusting. Thank you very much, Nidhi. Okay, so after Meme, you took some time off to find the right PhD for you. Tell me about that PhD. So at first I was looking into continuing on the same line of projects. So I'm mostly interested in social behaviors and vertebrates and cooperative breeding, just like I did with this Farian project. But then uh, there's this uh, directory called Evaldir that advertises many PhDs in many countries. And I discovered this wonderful system that is social beetles. And at first I, I was pushing one of my friends, another meme, to apply because she was really into that kind of topic and into insects. But then I realized that actually I was really interested in it <laughs> and switching to invertebrates was probably a very strategic move on my part. So I just applied and um, got an interview a few months later and uh, here I am doing this PhD. Fantastic. You mentioned it was in Germany. Where exactly is it? So it's in Würzburg, which is a small city close to Frankfurt, so pretty much right in the middle. Awesome. And you mentioned that uh, moving to invertebrates was a strategic move. Uh, in what sense? So, well, first of all, there are very few ethical problems working with invertebrates. You don't have to mention how many you're going to use. No one cares how you're going to treat them. Not that I would take advantage of that situation, <laughs> but it's, it's very useful. And you can have much, much larger sample sizes. You can control for many, many factors by rearing them in the lab. And they're way smaller to keep as well. Great. Well, we're looking forward to hearing the outcomes of uh, your future research. So tell me a bit more about how you go from uh, birds to beetles. Uh, what exactly is your PhD about? 
So my PhD is about Ambrosia beetles, which are part of the weevil family. And these beetles live mostly in dead wood. And so usually it's a one female that colonizes a log. She digs into it and smears some fungal spores on the wall of her gallery. And these fungal spores will develop and form into a fungus garden. And the very cool thing about these beetles is that they cultivate fungus. They farm this garden that they have. And the female will lay eggs um, because she has mated before. And she will lay eggs that will result in helper females, so her daughters, will stay in the nest and help her to rear the younger offspring and to take care of the fungus. And the other very cool thing about this system is that the females, uh, they don't have to stay in their mother's nest. They're fully able to reproduce and they can disperse whenever they want. But what we don't know is why some of them stay and why some of them leave and what determines the timing of dispersal. And that is basically the whole topic of my PhD. Awesome. And where do these beetles live? So the particular species that I'll be focusing on uh, lives all over the world. Um, I think it originated in Europe, but now it's all over North America and it was also introduced in Australia and New Zealand. And now our final question. Um, when can you remember the first time in your life pondering the uh, concept of evolution? So as a kid, I was a keen birder and I used to watch a lot of documentaries about animals. And I would say that what really uh, aroused my interest was animal behaviors and the weirdest animal behaviors from a human perspective. And I also I always wondered why do these animals behave that way? And when I finally made it to high school and I heard about the theory of evolution as Darwin saw it, uh, it answered so many questions and contradicted what I had heard from documentaries, such as, oh yeah, these animals are behaving that way for the good of the species, which is wrong. And it answered many questions and it really got me into it. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone listening and joining us on our eighth and final episode of the season of The Meme Stream. We will be taking a break over the next couple months to do interviews for our second season of The Meme Stream. This second season will bring in some new Meme Stream hosts who are living all throughout Europe and the world. I'd like to end this season though with a bigger list of thank yous and acknowledgements than usual. But first of all, I'd like to say that the meme stream is brought to you by the Erasmus Mundus Master's Program in Evolutionary Biology. Now, thank you to all those that have encouraged me to create this podcast. This includes my close family and friends, Trine Nguyen, also known as the great artist Magella, who made the opening music of this podcast, and also my close friends, Alice Michelle, Henry North, Hilda Schneeman, and Merve Osdo-Park for being a huge influence in the design of the podcast. And of course, thank you to the entire meme cohort, both past and present, but without your incredible brains and research, this podcast could never exist. In between now and the next season, you can follow the meme stream on SoundCloud, and please remember to rate and share our podcast to help us adapt and evolve. Yeah, it's evolution. It's Darwin's revolution, and it teaches us the history of life.